This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to get right to work tonight. A lot to be seen in this particular verse, as we have seen a lot already in the Word, in this study, and I pray that it is a blessing to you, and Revelation is a very complicated book, as we've mentioned several times to you, and uh, I pray that you're able to connect some of the dots, and I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't understand all the dots, and I just uh, look into it uh, and, and study it and uh, ask the Lord to give me a glimpse that I might be able to give it to you correctly, and that's that's my goal in, in these studies. We're going to look at verse number 10 tonight. Now, I want you to look with me now. I'm going to read this. This is still, if you have a red letter edition, these are continuing the words of Jesus. And in verse number 10, well, actually, I think it would probably be good if we go to verse 9 that would launch us into verse 10. I think that's probably a better place uh, to start. Now, he is dealing with the church of Smyrna. Now, he's dealing with seven churches. These are real congregating churches, seven churches of Asia Minor. And in verse number nine, he says, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. We spent a great deal of time talking about that last week. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. That's a harsh saying of Jesus. And we discussed a little bit about how Jesus made reference uh, in his in his moments of frustration when he called people snakes and vipers and foxes and uh, those types of things and and out of f- frustration when he was when he was uh, pulled in those directions he would categorize uh, the environment for those particular pronouns and so he says this the synagogue of satan Fear none of those things, Jesus says, which thou shalt suffer. It's not not a question if we suffer as Christians. We will suffer as Christians. Now, there is a passage Paul says that if we suffer as Christians, and I know the context of that scripture, but he's not talking about a hypothetical. He is talking about uh, the, the realization of that. But he said, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. And and the New Testament is filled with those types of things. Even the Old Testament, uh, in Daniel's case, Jeremiah's case, and so forth. The devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried. Now that's, that's a very important phrase because some of this is not only confined to the Old and New Testament, but to the times in which we live now. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. And ye shall, look at that, ye shall have tribulation ten days. Now that that might seem to be one of the 
pieces to the puzzle we'll talk about. He said, be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, in verse 10, Jesus is preparing believers for the trouble that was coming on the horizon. But he says, as he opens up with verse 10, he says, fear none of those things. Uh, The scripture, the New Testament, is predominantly filled with the saying, fear not. And we know that God is not the author of fear. But I will say this, and the Lord knows, that fear is a very natural thing within the human anatomy. It's just part of us. There's no reason to doubt that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing the fiery furnace, that they went into this situation completely oblivious to what was before them. There's no doubt in my mind that those boys were scared out of their mind. Fear is just a natural thing in our anatomy. But we don't have to be governed by it. We don't have to be welded to it. We don't have to be controlled by it. And I think we all understand that doing it is another thing altogether. But I do believe that fear is a very natural thing. And Jesus gives us great consolation to troubles and trials in the word. Now, one thing that we can be assured of that when we face troubles and trials is that the Lord has promised to meet our every need and every circumstance and everything that we face and everything that we go through. So even though that we are faced with dilemmas of fear, and what we fear predominantly revolves around the element of the unknown. Sometimes if we can see over the horizon, it's a little bit better to navigate than not knowing altogether. It's the element of unknown that usually frightens us the more so. But I remind you tonight that in these circumstances, whether seen or unseen, God has promised to meet our every need. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus calls out the devil here. He makes it clear that the devil is the source of all of our trouble. He says, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And I want to talk about that just for a moment. I want you to remember something very important for the journey that we are on as believers. And remember, we're, that's exactly what we are on. We're on a journey. This world is not our final home. In fact, this world is not really our home. We're, we're on a journey. We're passing through it. As a believer, our home is in heaven. We have to remember that. That's where our home is. And in this journey, there are a lot of stops and pauses along the way. There's a lot of setbacks. There's a lot of things that we can rejoice in the Lord in as we move forward, as we grow in grace, as we persevere. But then there are things that happen in our life that maybe sets us back, where we question, where we fret, 
where we doubt. In some cases, we would backslide as the word teaches us. But here's the spiritual truth that I want to teach you tonight about this journey. God never permits his people to suffer without a cause. He never per permits his people to suffer without a reason. Now, when you read a verse of scripture like this, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Okay, so what is the purpose of that? Well, let me say this. And I could give you more than one illustration tonight, but for the sake of time, let me be uh, precise with one. In the early days of the infant church, even days where scriptures were not yet on parchment, I'm talking about in the early days of the New Testament, the early days of the early church, People were congregated and they were motivated and they were increased in their faith predominantly by signs and wonders. That they, this thing about the just shall live by faith, this was a new thing. They, they were coming out of an era in the Old Testament, 4,000 years, they were coming out of this era where, where God was through Jesus walking in a furnace, speaking in a burning bush, leading them by a pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. Uh, all of these things, the fleece that was set out, all of these things that were signs and wonders, and people uh, were increased in their beliefs because of predominant signs and wonders. And that doesn't eliminate the fact that they had to trust an unknown future to a very known God. But predominantly, it was a sign and wonder thing. And in the early days of the early church, that's the way that it was working as well. So this thing about living by faith, the just shall live by faith, was, was a new thing that was coming on the period of time in the transition from the Old Testament tabernacle to what would soon be the local New Testament church. Now, I want you to remember this, that when Paul, the Apostle Paul, known as Saul of Tarsus at that particular time, when he was persecuting the church, and he did it in a very vehement way, he did it in a way that he was throwing men and women into prison. He, he was being entertained by their demise, their, their troubles, their sufferings. It was in his DNA. He, he just loathed over the tribulation of God's people. And here's what happened. As a result of a bad thing that was going on for believers, where the devil at that moment was working in the life of Saul, Saul of Tarsus. One of the things that happened is that people, believers, would scatter. They were not focused in one proximity. They began to flee because of the persecution. Now think about what happened when that 
persecution took place. And they led families, they led friends, they led uh, all kinds of neighbors in different directions. In other words, the church, the early church, it was scattering. Okay, one might look at that as if it were a sense of cowardhood or the unwillingness to stand, having done all stand, as the scripture says. But I think taking that approach is taking the word of God out of context. This is what I believe. As the devil was the source of all trouble, as the word says, and when he would move in vehement ways, it would scatter Christians. But when the devil started doing what he was doing to disrupt the work, the movement of God, and believers started to scatter, think about what happened as a result of that. And this is something that I took time to, to really meditate upon. Because in one concentrated area where believers were and the gospel was contained, when the devil started persecuting the church, which caused believers to flee and to go in different directions, in all actuality, this is what happened. Instead of the gospel being contained and concentrated in one place, now believers, early Christians, as they scattered, they were not only taking with them the possessions of their lives, and the possessions of their family, the clothes on their back, but they were also taking the gospel. As believers, as they were fleeing and going in all sorts of directions, they were also, as a believer, taking the gospel to other regions as well. So as the devil is the source of all trouble, casting them into prison and all sorts of things, they were able to, in this, dis in this moment of disarray, they were able to take the gospel out of Jerusalem and to other regions beyond uh, which is a remarkable thing. And this is what Jesus said to do. But now there's an interesting thing that comes about, and that is this. In, in the latter part of verse number 10, and you shall have tribulation 10 days. Now, I want to comment on that from my own personal study, and this, uh, there may be other um, great scholars and theologians that has a deeper insight to this than me. I recognize that and and certainly uh, surrender to that. But me, as I study, I, I think about this, I meditate on it. All I can say is this, that the 10 days, it's sort of like uh, the 70 weeks in Daniel. Those, those weeks are not literal weeks, it, it's a time period uh, over a certain amount of time. And when I look at this, it's basically in the same pattern of that. The 10 days, I think, in my study, it refers to what I believe to be perhaps 10 different horrific episodes. 
hearts that takes place in human history concerning believer persecution over centuries, not only then, but that to come. Now, I do believe this, that the devil is a very powerful individual. But we have to remember this, he's, no, he's not greater or more powerful than God. We have to also remember this, that the devil is a created being. He has not always been. He's not more powerful than God. In fact, there's a scripture I want you to see in Psalm 62, 11. And the word says this, God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. And he is omnipotent. So, considering that God never allows his people to suffer without a reason, when I read this verse of scripture, some of these believers were cast into prison. Why? What was the reason? What was the purpose of this? It's right after the word prison. The reason that you may be tried. You see, God never tempts us, but he will often try us. And the trying is for us to have a moment to reaffirm, to reestablish, uh, to uh, acknowledge our faith and our dependency on him. Let me give you a situation here to think back in the scriptures. And again, God never presents a situation where he allows his people to suffer without a reason or a cause. In the life and in the times of Job, the great servant of God, and we know how he was afflicted and how that he suffered greatly and he had unbelievable levels of human loss. But remember this, the devil could not afflict Job unless God removed the hedge. It was the only way. And you remember the devil's proposition to God, remove the hedge and I'll get him to curse your name. And God said, I'll remove the hedge, but you cannot kill him. You can afflict him, but you cannot kill him. God never allows his people to suffer without a reason or a purpose. And whatever that reason or purpose may be, remember this. And regardless of whatever trouble or trial that you may be going through in life right now, we all have them. To everything, there's a season. We all have them. God knows what your load limit is. He knows how much you can bear. And he knows how much you can withstand. And he knows what would be unbearable to you. God will not allow his people to suffer without a reason or a purpose. And he will never put too much on us that we cannot bear. In fact, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you 
He will not allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. And I have always said it this way. God has given us two primary functions to withstand any temptation that comes our way. You know what it's called? It's called the right foot and the left foot. Because when temptation comes your way, you put your left foot in, you take your left foot out, you do the hokey pokey, and you turn yourself about. That's what you do. It, so we know that we have two things that God will help us in the day of adversity. Now, you look at this now in all seriousness, God has allowed in this thing at Smyrna, this persecution to come against this church. This is why he allowed it, and you read it, that you may be tried, and that is, some of them had erred in the faith, and the Lord was allowing the persecution that was taking place to cause these believers to repent. And he says this at the end of verse number 10. He said, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And that typifies steadfastness. It had to be a priority. And, and let me say this about steadfastness then and about steadfastness now. If steadfastness in the faith means the same thing now as it meant back then, if it means the same thing, and he said, if we were steadfast, that he would give us a crown of life. And this is, and this is a personal conviction. I believe many people lost this crown a year after COVID was over. You say, what are you talking about? Because I believe COVID was real. But what I also believe is that it's over. Now, I don't believe that it's forever gone any more than I believe that AIDS on this planet is forever gone. But the tragedy is this. A year plus after we were told stuff by Fauci and all of these other people, let me say this. God forbid that some still use COVID for a reason today not to be faithful to the Lord. God forbid. You say, well, certainly nobody's doing that. <laughs> All right, now let's look at this. The crown of life. I'm going to give you something now. You don't get this often. I think probably two or three times in the past have I given you this, but I want to reiterate it to you because just a week or two ago we talked about a reward being part 
of our enjoyment in heaven, one of the rewards was the tree of life. It's not a crown. It's a reward. And we talked about that. I don't have time to repeat that tonight. But there are five specific crowns that a believer will have the opportunity to obtain. I'm going to give you those five crowns tonight and the scriptures where they're located. And this is talking about our steadfastness as a believer in this journey on our way to our eternal home. And we do know that every believer will have a crown of gold on their head. That's for sure. Revelation chapter 4, verse number 4. I want you to look at this scripture. And, and by the way, this is one of the rapture scriptures that fits like a glove with Paul's writing in Thessalonians. But he says this, around about the throne were four and twenty seats. And when we get to this chapter, we'll talk about it more in depth and detail. And upon the seats, I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, the four and the twenty elders, this, this represents uh, the church after the rapture. We'll, we'll get into all of that in that particular chapter. But so we do know this is talking about the church, and the word says, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So we know, we know that every believer will have on their head a crown or crowns of gold. And so at the judgment seat where these rewards will be given, let me give you the one element of this that I do not know. And I have no problems uh, expressing that and letting you know that whether we will still be wearing a crown of gold at the marriage supper or after the marriage supper of the Lamb, I don't know. You have to remember now this thing as a believer is in two phases. The rapture takes place and we meet the Lord in the air in the first three and a half years. We're at the judgment seat of Christ and then we move to the next phase where the remaining three and a half years is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so whether we'll still be wearing this one after the marriage supper, I don't know. My guess is probably not. And that that's just from my personal study. All right, so the crown of righteousness is going to be given those to those who live holy and righteous in their daily walk on this earth. And the scripture for that is 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8, and we'll read this. It says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them, not to categorically everybody, but unto all them who also that love his appearing. And so, so that's very important. Uh, looking for the blessed hope. All right, now, then there is the crown of glory, and the crown of glory is for faithful ministers, but I don't believe that it's strictly reserved for pastors because theoretically we're all ministers. 
every one of us, have been commissioned to share the gospel. But the crown of glory is for faithful ministers, and the scripture reference for that is 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 4. And the word says, and when the chief shepherd shall appear. You see, a pastor, I am known as, as the under-shepherd. But there is one above me. He is the chief shepherd. He's much greater. As an under-shepherd, I have a responsibility to shepherd the flock, to preach the word. But the over and above and the greater and the omnipotent and when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Number three, quickly, it's the crown of life. And we're talking about that here in verse number 10. Let me reread that for you again, Revelation 2.10. And this is pertaining, as you can see, in verse number 10. It deals with people, believers who endure sufferings, troubles and trials and all kinds of persecutions. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. Look at this. And I will give thee a crown of life. And then there is what is called the incorruptible crown the incorruptible crown. And Paul lightens our hearts and minds on this particular crown with 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and 25. Know ye not they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And then every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And that is for faithfulness. And then there is the crown of rejoicing. And this is the soul winner's crown. And this is, this is a particular crown that every one of us have the ability to receive. And Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? And this is a soul winner's crown. So there again, five specific crowns. When you talk about this, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown of life, the incorruptible crown, and the crown of rejoicing. But there are rewards that resonate with these certain crowns, and we have already talked about it uh, as one being uh, the tree of life in the manner and fashion of reward. All right, now we have time to go into one verse tonight, just as an introduction. Certainly I don't have, uh, it's eight o'clock in time to move forward, but I want to read for you now verse number 11. He that hath an ear, Revelation 2.11, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And let me ask you, because the, and I just have time to get into the first part of this, let him hear what the Spirit saith. 
I do believe that the Holy Spirit is still very much alive, present, and working in this present age. You know why I believe that the Holy Spirit is still working in the day and times in which we live? It's because men and women are still getting saved. And we cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. God knows when the last person is going to be saved. He, and, and I personally believe only he knows. According to Scripture, no man knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come, when Jesus will return to this earth. But one thing we do know is that he is coming. He said he was coming. We don't know when, but the Father does. And I believe God in his omniscience, he knows wherever it is on planet earth, whatever church house it's in, whatever under denomination it may be, God knows when, where, and how the last one to truly humbly from every fiber of their soul who calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, God knows who, what, when, where, and how. He knows all of that. And I believe that when that moment happens, the trump of God will sound, the rapture will take place, and everything will coincide as the scriptures say. But let him hear what the Spirit saith. This is important. Because I believe not only is the Holy Spirit still working in today and the times that we live, but I believe the Holy Spirit is still speaking. And the question I want to leave you with is this. In your quiet time today, in your devotional time today, when you had your scripture, maybe over a cup of coffee, maybe, maybe you like me, I don't put my feet on the floor without saying, good morning. Precious Father, precious Lord Jesus, blessed Holy Spirit, thank you for another sunrise. I spend time, before my feet touch the floor, I spend time in worship. I worship him. I praise him. I thank him. And in these moments that I spend getting ready I mean, and there's there's a lot that I do before I even get to this church. Not only do I take care of myself, I take care of a farm and I do everything that I have to do, which is a day's work before I even get here. But I always want to make myself available and not be too busy, have a schedule so rigid and so jammed and so confused and schedules and times. I want to have myself in a position to where the Holy Spirit can speak to me. Where he doesn't have to slap me silly. He doesn't have to have me have an accident. He doesn't have to do something supernaturally out of the norm in a negative way in order for me to listen to him, I, I want to naturally make it part of my morning. I want to give him the opportunity to speak to me whatever it is he would like me to know or see, whatever it may be. 
And so I ask you today, and this is not a spooky question, but it's just a matter of conviction. Have you heard the Spirit speak today? Or honestly, truly, when is the last time you've heard the Holy Spirit speak to your heart? You think about this. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.